Gentlemen, I have a question for you. And we'll start with you, Dan, since you're the guest. Sure, why not? If you had to choose, these are always good. Yeah. You get a job writing for DC or Marvel, you can pick a high paying job. Would you take it if it meant you could no longer create your original characters, your original work, or tell your original stories? It all had to be, you know, your Batmans and Wolverines and stuff. I mean, basically, you know, if you're working for Marvel or DC anyway, chances are you're not going to have the time to write or draw your own stuff. (laughs) That's a fair point. That is fair. Yeah. So basically, I I would say, yeah, because basically I would be working for them anyway for full time if I'm doing, you know, a project and it pays well enough. And I'm sure it's not going to be like, here, here's a job forever from DC and Marvel. (laughs) I mean, that'd be great if it was just, you know, a temporary thing, get your name out there Mm -hmm. more and stuff. But if it was uh, like, what if it was a permanent situation, though? Which wouldn't happen, like you said. But yeah. Fantasyland, you yeah. you take this job, you played your hand with the devil, and now the other side is all you're doing is Batman stories. Geez, that's a tough one. If you ask, here's here's my answer. If you ask the Dan Noakes of 2002 when I first started getting into comics, he would have said absolutely. If you ask the Dan Noakes now, he said probably not. Because I, I, I kind of think of myself now as uh, I, I relate to that scene in the Shawshank Redemption when um, Red is at his final um, parole hearing, and basically, you know, frankly, Sonny Jim, I, I don't get the, you know, it, it's like uh, I, I kind of feel like that to a certain degree now. Like I, when I first got in, I think my goal in uh, comics was like to have that springboard to get to do DC and Marvel stuff, but now that I've done you know, a good half a dozen uh, graphic novels, and so I, I don't know if I can part from that. That's what makes me happy because it's, uh, it gives me the most creative control, the most freedom, the most ability to express myself exactly the same, the, the way that I want to. Yeah, I don't. That's a tough one. Yeah, you know, do you choose the road of the starving artist or do you pick the the commercial money job? Um, yeah. And also, at, you know, if you're getting into comics, especially when you're young, yeah, it's all sunshine and rainbows. And then, then you find the dirty underbelly of uh, the comic world where you listen to a lot of Alan Moore <laughs> lectures and then you're like, never mind. <laughs> uh, what about you, Spencer? I think given now, I would probably lean closer to either the Marvel or DC gigs because like, I've always just had such an affinity with those characters. And then you said, like, it's a pain job, and hopefully like, if you're doing one of those, you can become, like, an exclusive talent, because, like, those guys get, like, benefits and healthcare and stuff like that, True. which is always nice. No uh, more day job, either. That's yeah. another thing. You don't have to work a nine-to-five, because that is your nine-to-five. Yeah, and I, I don't know, and I always like the um the challenge of, like, of trying to come up with something new for existing characters. I, I like just as much of coming up with your own like you know what i mean right. be able to put your own spin and, and 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 a mark on a character or a certain title after you know after a while i think would would be pretty cool too and like dan said even like the be- the best of writers and artists don't get like full-time long-term you know they normally yeah. like at least take a break to go and you know do their own stuff you know eventually and stuff like that just a hired gun yeah you know, like I said, working for Marvel or DC or any of the independents, you're basically a contract player for the most part. Right. There are very few uh, full-time employees in the creative fields at, at a major company that they're pulling a regular paycheck. So being from that, too, it's like it's it's fine. Like I And I think after a while, you also sit there and think it's like, 
Marvel and DC have been doing this for what about eighty years now? It's like, yeah. and the superhero genre pretty much is. It's kind of like uh, I would I would liken it to like rock and roll at this point. Like, at what point are you going to bring something totally new and totally off? You know, within that within the genre of rock, of rock music, it's like, why are you going to bring something that's that's a, a major paradigm shift? Uh, from what's being put now, like you, you put, put out a story. Like I, I do a lot of conventions, and I often run into a bunch of kids or you know people in their twenties or even the early thirties that come up and want to pitch their comics. And I want to say a good eighty-five to ninety percent of the time, it always goes off with like, "Okay, here's my pitch. It's about a superhero who it's like, all right, you're just pitching me Batman in a tutu." It's like, <laughs> yeah, hey. that would that would suck. Like having to deal with that, <laughs> I, I don't think I would have the patience. Yeah. So there's your two sides of the, I like that. Those two yeah. sides of the coin there. We had both sides. Of, uh, I'll be the tiebreaker. I would pick the starving artist route, but that's because I'm a fiction novelist so, yeah. or wannabe. So probably going to be obscure for a very long time mm. anyway. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, as always, Spencer, the Philadelphia Philistine Church, who created that name, not mine. I was not the creator of that name. Our special guest today came up with that name, and that is Mr. Dan Noakes, artist, writer. You're a man of actually many trades now. Um, novelist, I could, I could throw that on there. Before I kick things off to you, I will just go ahead and go through your bibliography so the people can look up some of your work. Dan has recently, that was just uh, last year, I believe, you published your first ever ever prose novel, Kevin, or the Latter Days of Romulus Augustulus, Last Emperor of Western Rome. I really want to yeah. ask you about that, too, because uh, we'll get to that. But for a first novel, that was uh, not what I expected coming from the guy who's been dealing with the, the chicken for so long. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a I'm a huge history fan to start off with, and I've always loved stuff like um, Python and the Holy Grail, Life of Brian, mm. History of the World, Part One. I, I kind of like uh, the, the realm of historical comedy, and kind of want to explore that field. I still need to check that book out. I just well, I, I talked to Dan off air before. Um, we'll get into this later. I, I I promised I was gonna wait till near the end, but there was an Amazon situation, so I couldn't order the book directly from Amazon, uh. which is normally how I get my books. There just hasn't been a convention where I was able to run into him. Um, you've also done The Paranormals, which is said over 10 years old now, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually uh, technically this year is the 20th anniversary of uh, when I put out the first issue. So you're going to do a 20th? Because I, I think I bought the 10th anniversary issue. Mm. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know yet. Uh, everything depends on how quickly uh, my current project gets wrapped up. If I have time, I mean, I technically have. I, I'm going with a uh, new printer uh, once again, so I, I had to recently re-edit the uh, the 10th anniversary. But I, I, I kind of wouldn't mind doing a full-on edit of that now that I have like an actual editor to help me out with uh, all the grammatical mistakes yeah. I made in my, in my 20s. Was that your first real work you did? Like your first graphic no, novel? I did a, I did a book before that called um, The Reptile and Mr. Amazing, which kind of like when I would have my day jobs, uh, I would just kind of work on my lunch break or when I got home at night. And that was kind of like over the course of, I'd say, five to seven years, so from 96 to 2002. 
I have this thing about looking at my older artwork. It's like I, I put it up uh, at one point. I put it up for free for people <laughs> to read just because I like I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't want I can't charge people money for this. I still think it's a good story, but I, I the older my art gets, the more I'm I don't want to use the word repulsed, <laughs> but it's kind of like. But it's kind of like looking at pictures of yourself in high school yeah. like during, I guess, your, your goth phase or your uh, your pop punk phase. Like what? Like you would go back if you went back in time, you'd you'd probably beat the shit out of yourself. <laughs> well, well, that's a good sign of creative growth. Like if you go back and you look at that stuff and you're like, oh man, that's the best stuff that I've ever done. That's probably yeah, that's a sign good. of not of not yeah. good things in the present. Since I've been doing so many literary submissions this year. I've gone back through a lot of my old stories, some of the st- first things I've like finished, you know, yeah. and actually edited. And I'm like, why was I writing like that? It's terrible. Most of them were just bad impersonations of, you know, Stephen King or Neil, whoever I was reading at the time. Yeah. You've also, this one I think has actually got you booted from Amazon. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Adam and Eve, Bizarre Love Triangle in the Zombie Apocalypse. Yeah, that's the specific one. The, that one's, uh, I. That, we'll see. I put out in it's about 12, 13. I have the 10th anniversary uh, Kickstarter that I put out uh, two years ago for that one. That was um, that was a fun book to do. It was basically me. I lived in Southern Maryland at the time, and I just kind of wanted to write a book. Kind of like you were saying about Stephen King, I kind of wanted to write something about where I lived. And I guess one day, kind of thought, well, what would that be in uh, Calvert County, Maryland, uh, if the zombie apocalypse came? And I, basically, my answer was, eh, not much different than it is now. Yeah. <laughs> the next one on here, I actually really liked. I think we did when DPW still a website. Uh, when we had that up, I think I actually reviewed. Either I did or you did. I don't yeah. remember. Uh, Impossible Space Tales of the Last Pit Stop. And this one was an online only. Did you ever get around to printing this? Oh, yeah, it's in print. Okay, I need to pick that up because I actually really enjoyed that one. I put out the first 11 issues online, and then uh, when the 12th and final installment came out, I put uh, a Kickstarter out. I was like, uh, my, my, my rationale was like, okay, I gave you 11 issues for free. If you want to yeah. read the last one, you got to pick this yeah. one up. It's actually kind of a good move because you uh-huh. cement the readership, and then you make them pay for the final, yeah, right, which they yeah. should be paying yeah. anyway. It's a very odd uh, marketing strategy, but it paid off in the end. <laughs> and it's actually to date my absolute best-selling title. Uh, whenever I go to a show, it's almost always the one that like sells well or even sells out. Well, it's kind of leaning towards Clerks with Aliens, which is two great yeah, things yeah. put together. So I can, and I just like the characters are so fun in that. Yeah, like, it's definitely. I tell people it's workplace horror stories, but in space. It's, I want to say, like, I worked a lot of uh, horrible day jobs. Some of them were horrible, but a lot of them, most of them were just, like, tedious and not what I wanted to do. It was it was a paycheck, basically. Yeah. You you meet interesting people. A lot of times it was in, like, you know, the service industry, either food service or uh, working at uh, various warehouses or stuff like that. And it's kind of like, uh, the characters are amalgamations of people that I met and that, I guess, 15, 20 uh, year period. But I just, you know, turned them into aliens. <laughs> well, from what I remember, too, like the art in that, like it seems like your art style got more consistent and you were falling into your more mature way of drawing. And, you know, you do like the colorings and stuff, too, right? Yeah. Um, basically, Adam and Eve is where I discovered ink wash and... Space Tales is where I kind of discovered sort of like uh, the like halftone, duotone uh, patterns on uh, Photoshop and kind of incorporated the two together. 
It was it was also the last what? Yeah, it was the last black and white book that I had done too. And I I still love black and white, but at some point like I literally like man, everybody has this idea in their head that black and white comics by default are less than color, even though it's like, you know, some of the best stories I've ever read were in black and white. And it was and like I said, it wasn't necessarily that I like, you know, I, I was trying to like, you know, be cheap on anything. It's like I just didn't know how to like digital color it at the time, mm-hmm. which I which I eventually did with uh, with the next project. Well, I think just a simple you look at mangas. Yeah, that just proves the point that black and white could be great. So, right? You know, as yeah. long as the art's good, it doesn't really matter. And this last one, this kind of leads up to your Kickstarter, I guess maybe directly. I haven't read this one. Uh, Chicken USDA rejected. It's, that's uh, definitely about uh, the uh, the rooster in question. That was his first graphic novel. Um, basically, uh, the premise was he's in Baltimore at a uh, convention there at the uh, Baltimore Convention Center with me. Uh, I go home for the night, and uh, it's kind of like those, I guess, like old Tex Avery um, cartoons where, like, they would shut down the uh, either the toy store or the grocery store or whatever, and then all the, I guess, either the toys or the groceries would come alive. And but, but it's just basically he gets up, he gets out, he goes into the streets of Baltimore. I tell people think of it as uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas meets Golden Books by way of Blues Brothers. Oh, interesting. What for, for our listeners who are not aware of your foul mouth cock? Yeah. What are the origins of the chicken? Because you had the stuffed chicken, which I believe mysteriously vanished on uh, one of your you know travels yeah. around the, the globe. Yeah, uh, basically the original uh, chicken, uh, chicken one point uh, <laughs> My stepfather worked for the. Uh, county waste management uh and he comes home one day with this gigantic chicken he's like here you want this i'm like sure why not it just kind of sat in my room for a while until one day i decided to like hey i think i'm gonna dress this thing in cosplay and bring it to a show for a laugh and uh i put him in like a little like i got i went to the local target picked up a a thor outfit dressed him up as thor and brought him to the show i was like what the hell is that it's like he's my new mascot (laughs) uh his name what's his name chicken uh basically i just kept bringing him to shows until people he started developing sort of like a little cult audience and people kept asking well is he gonna get his own comic it's like well when i'm done with space tales and then i finished up space tales and i was like all right like at that point i've been sitting on the story for about three years and it kind of evolved the original story and what became usda rejected are vastly different from one another but yeah what what eventually became usda rejected was i worked on during 2019 and 2020 you've built up quite the audience and like because your kickstarter you have now is already doing decent numbers and from the ones i've watched previously it's like you always exceed the Kickstarters pretty early on. Like you always, which I think would be in most Kickstarters, you have a week or so where it's really booming, probably slows down or, you know, plateaus a little But yeah. You've always, from what I've seen, exceeded your Kickstarters. Um, how, because we've thought about doing things on Kickstarter, but I don't even know how to get into it, let alone succeed at it and market it. But uh, how did you get into it? And how are you able to promote it so well that it just, is it just because you have such a, big audience now that people just want what you're creating i would say right now the people uh, i i th- last time i checked my uh my kickstarter it was about 
40 backers. And I'm going to say at this moment, uh, probably 35 of them are regulars from other Kickstarters. So that that's like my, my, my I would say probably out of that almost $2,800, I would say probably close to 80% of that is from people that have backed something before for me or picked something up at a show. So yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy about that. Um, so now the question is, can I A, bring on some more of those people in the next three weeks to get up to my goal? Because it's, it's definitely the most ambitious uh, target goal that I've set. I want to say my, pre, my record was about $3,000 that I asked for and about... 4200 4205 for how much I made. So I basically, this is the most I've asked for from a Kickstarter. And uh, I'm kind of hoping, you know, at least a, a bunch of my uh, people that haven't pledged yet are going to come out and pledge. And then I'm hoping, you know, some new people jump on board as well. Well, from like the standpoint of the general public who just maybe they've supported Kickstarters or watched Kickstarters for just various things, usually they go up to, you know, 10,000, 50,000, just ridiculous numbers. So you don't think of it as that difficult of a thing. But when you're actually just creating, like, say, a book, like something, you know, artistic or simple, to get that kind of money, like $4,200, like, to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine getting that kind of money just for my work. I'd be happy if I got a publishing deal where they right. gave me in advance that was that much. Yeah. But to actually have people want it, like, that has to feel good just to have, because unlike when you go to a show or something, you might be able to sell just through your sales pitch be able to sell a book, but the person might not necessarily be excited always because you kind of have that carnival yeah. aspect where it's like, I sold them, but they seemed a little iffy. They bought it. Maybe they just wanted to be nice. But a Kickstarter, there's none of that. They're they're getting it because they want it. Like they really want it. So that's like, that just has to feel amazing, I would imagine. Well, the, the, tricky, the tricky thing that I've always seen with like backing Kickstarters or just watching Kickstarters is the double-edged sword of the stretch goals. Yeah. Because, like, those can bring them, but then, like, that's more, you have to make more money for those, and that's more time to make that stuff and to produce it, and, like, like we were saying, like, with novels, that was another thing, but, like, what can you really do for stretch scope for a novel? You know, you can get, like, a bookmarker or <laughs> yeah, something yeah, like that, really you know? Well, but at least with, I'm like... Always empathetic in general towards uh, authors who do prose novels, because, like, as a, well, let's say I'm, I'm at shows... I got, you know, I have finished artwork. So it's basically, they just have to look at the artwork and say, I yeah. like that. I don't like that. And either, you know, buy that, but buy the original artwork or the poster or the comic, at least based on, you know, the, a first impression of, of whether they like that art style or not. Like I, I, an author has to rely pretty much solely on like marketing and and salesmanship skills. Cause like, you know, you can't like look at this sentence right here. <laughs> yeah. This paragraph is amazing. This one, if you don't buy it right here, then I, like I, you just don't appreciate literature the way that you should. Look at the nuance of this paragraph. Look at the Cespedalian style that I've incorporated. Like you can't do it. Oh, you see this font? Look at this font. Yeah. Look at the formatting. Impeccable. Fourteen point. What do you What do you got to say about that? <laughs> if you want to talk about double edged sword, this is a straight samurai sword. When you are a writer of prose novels, as we've uh, talked to many at different conventions, especially when we're doing the press gigs, they are not the most social bunch, and they're no. not good at marketing. Most writers suck at marketing, so it's just like <laughs> to be able to sell that novel. Like they just sit there at the blank table, and it's just it's depressing. And even us are like we usually when we go to shows, we buy like I try to buy two or three. Yeah. Um, if it's at least something I'd be slightly interested in. The problem is 
a lot of the times it's either, you know, genre stuff I don't really care about or like the person seems very disinterested in even being there because they're probably not yeah. selling any. And then, I, you know, I go up and look and then you see that little spark on their eye. Yeah. Oh, maybe they'll buy the novel, yeah. but they don't know how to sell it. There's only like I'm probably not going to read it because I just right. don't have the time. And I'm like, yeah, and it's like 15 bucks. It's just it's really hard to sell yeah. an indie novel. Even if you're yeah. published by the, you know Penguin or something, it's still hard to sell a novel. So I couldn't imagine. The um, honestly, though, like artists are not a lot of artists are not much better because I mean, a lot of them are um, like you know, pretty much self-contained. I'm looking for the word um, introverted. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of them are incredibly introverted to start off with it, and. I know when I first got it in, like the idea of like selling my artwork uh, was like selling my children. Like I, I, I just found it like repelling at first, and then after you know, like money started coming in, I, and the fact that I kind of had to keep producing and producing, I kind of eventually I boiled it away to a certain point. That 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 feeling to a, a certain degree, but uh, a lot of artists will just sit there with their heads buried uh, in their uh, sketchbook or on their phone and just not really sit there and respond to an audience. I don't think they want to be salespeople, and they kind of have this attitude it's like, "Look at the artwork; it's amazing. It'll sell itself." And they don't realize, yeah, your artwork might be good, but guess what? So are you know the fifty other artists yeah. that are here. All these other like name brand properties that people know that you're competing against as well. Especially when you're like your booth is next to one of those stupid print booths that just are a bunch of, you know, pre made Punisher prints and stuff. Just or just some kind of like arts and craft booth. Like, yeah. oh, like this isn't. Or Funko Pop booths. Oh, yeah. the Funko Pop. Well, at least things. with the Funko Pop, there's a good chance you can maybe cipher off some of that traffic. Yeah. You know? Hey, kid, uh, I know you don't read, but come over here. Yeah. Look at my art. I yeah. can draw things and pop up, make them look like Pop-Ups. <laughs> I was at a um, a library convention last year, and uh, this is around, I guess, July or August. Um, and I basically had people go up to me. Uh, I, I think my favorite one was like, I, I pitched my book. It's like, yeah, I don't. I really don't like to read, and I'm not into comics. It's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, this is like <laughs> Dracula and Church territory for you, buddy. I suggest you probably want to turn around and get out as quickly as possible. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if it's possible, can you regale us with just a few of maybe like your con pet peeves, like the list of things that people do? Like maybe they come up and take a picture without asking, and then just leave, or uh, you know, you, I know you've uh, talked about the, I think on Facebook you've talked about the, oh, I don't read, or just like stupid things like that. What's one's really good yeah, on your like, nerves? Like, pride, prideful illiteracy is, is up there for me. Um, also, uh, treating my booth like it's uh, a receptacle for your stuff. Like, people will just walk up to you, not engage with you at all. Like, throw their, like, food or their book bag or whatnot or their, their, their loot up on your table while they're talking on the phone or uh, talking with their friends. And then standing standing in front of a booth uh, while you're trying to sell stuff is another one that's that really gets my goat. Just, I think I don't fit under the, like, not acknowledging my presence. Like, you're, like, you're, you're really standing up at my booth. You know, like I said, I, I and and lots of people like, well, I spent a lot of money to be here. I was like, oh, I spent a lot of money to be here too. Mm-hmm. I think that's an annoying thing. I think another one, and like, and I don't hate all. Uh, it's going to be a thing about cosplayers, uh, and not all cosplayers, but the ones that commit to characters so much that like they don't know 
Either they don't know or don't care that they're irritating the hell out of you. Like, I, I, I want to say Deadpool cosplayers and Joker cosplayers commonly fit into this category where, like, the Joker cosplayer will sit there and, like, laugh at the, at the top of his lungs and, and, and immerse themselves into the character. And, like, dude, if you're not going to get anything, just... Please leave, like you know. I remember <laughs> one specific year. I don't. I don't remember if it was the sci-fi con or if I saw you maybe like a Wizard World or something. I I can't remember what it was. I don't think you've done Three Rivers, have you? I did it a long, long time ago when it was at the mall, but I haven't done it since it's moved to the convention center. Mm, we've been to the mall one, but I don't think it would have been that one. I just remember one time I was trying to go up to your booth for the longest time. And there was this fucking. It was like a dead. I think I remember that. The like, dancing Deadpool with like a boombox, and I think there was like some shittily looking anime, like girls. Like I don't know what their cosplay was. It was some kind of anime, and they just wouldn't move, but their backs were facing you. And I just remember your face. You looked like you wanted to hatch it <laughs> over the back of the head. I was just like, why? Like, how do you have that bad of social <laughs> awareness? I don't understand. Yeah, again, that falls under a that whole like ignoring the like. The idea is like, yes, you, I totally acknowledge you are here to have fun and find fun things to either enjoy or take home with you. And that is your purpose. And I totally acknowledge that. I totally respect that. But also respect the fact that this is my job. I'm, I'm here to, you know, try to help make an income, to help feed my family, to help, you know, push my books and my wares. Please let me be able to do that. If like you know, like this is this is quote unquote my airspace. If you if you're going to sit there for like twenty minutes and have a conversation, guess what's not going to happen? People are not going to walk up to my booth, cut through you to come see me. Well, not only are they not buying anything and they're being a nuisance, but they're causing other people who might want to buy something from you to avoid yeah. the whole area yeah. because a lot of times when i see that i just like i'm not going because i'm an introvert too i was like i don't want to deal with that because uh, yeah. again no social awareness so if you try to walk through chances are deadpool might start humping you or something yeah. he just doesn't care yeah. it's like get away from me um well, that's why i always said there should be like a cosplay like section like they can walk around the floor and stuff like that but like there should be a section for like cosplayers where they can do their like the pictures or their like silliness yeah. and uh, you know what I well, mean. Well, fortunately, the last few shows, the bigger shows we went to, I've seen mainly because they do the cosplay events. Yeah, you know, like oh, we're gonna have the judging and stuff. That's probably like when we went to Cleveland and stuff, but it wasn't a set place for them. It's just where they seem to gravitate toward. Mm -hmm. So they were for a good portion of the show over there, but they did the rounds and dancing and stuff along the floor. And I'm just like, why? Like, I, you just want to be seen. I get it. It's Especially fun, when you but... have some big, like, you know, like, you have these, like, 10-foot wings on. Yeah. And you're in a mech suit. Like, <laughs> But then people keep, well, that's another thing, though, because they stop you. Like, if you have a booth there, you have the big mech guy. Someone wants a picture with the mech guy. Yeah. Who booth does he stop? Probably Dan's booth. <laughs> yeah. And then just, he's dwarfed. He can't, you know, he's overshadowed. You can't see him behind there. And then the 20 minutes of pictures. <laughs> Yeah, because it's never like if the guy stops, it's not going to be just the one person and he moves on. It's like that guy, oh, he's taking pictures. And then literally it's like anywhere between like five or six people to like 20 or 30 people are literally turned your booth into a picture, <laughs> uh, a, a photo mat. And I'm like, yeah, guys, like this isn't helping me at all. Like, um, but another one you were touching on is when people walk up to my booth. Don't Again, don't acknowledge me. 
just start flipping through my stuff, grab their cam and start taking pictures of everything. And basically at one point it's like, I, I, I'll start doing my pitch and being annoying back to them. It's like, <laughs> dude, if you're not going to acknowledge my presence and you're, you're just going around taking pictures of stuff and you have no plans to buy anything, I'm going to annoy you until you leave. That is, <laughs> I don't even know how you solve that one. Yeah. Because like, Part of you wants to say, well, maybe they're just very awkward and they're taking pictures because they want to send it to somebody who might like it. I've done yeah. that, but I've asked. You yeah, know? yeah, I've always. Anytime that I'm I like, mean, hey, I start, I start polite. Like I again, I I try. I I you know, in general, conventions are full of introvert. It, it's a it's a petri dish of social malady. So I don't want to go and judge right away that some some people might have ADD. Some people may have be on some level of the spectrum. And I like I don't want to go and immediately think that guy's an asshole. Like I, I, I try to start with that. But some people you can pick from right away that they're just there to not pay for anything, take a bunch of pictures, put them up on Instagram. It's like, oh, this is going to blow you up. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I've never seen like, oh my God, this guy's the serious influence to put up. And then my, my, suddenly I'm getting a, a wave, tidal wave of orders. Dan, it's don't like, you know how exposure works? Yeah. That's yeah. what we writers get paid <laughs> in these days. <laughs> yeah. I guess like, uh, what's, the, what's the old adage? People die of exposure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's about right. The Donner Party were all uh, creative types. Yeah, that that's that sounds about right. Before we move on to the next topic, I do want to address one more con-related uh, nuisance. How many times, you probably can't count at this point, but how often, let's say generally during a show, does somebody come up, you give them your whole spiel, your whole sales pitch, and they sit there and stare at you stone-faced and then just leave? More than once. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that that would I think that would drive me nuts more than anything, just because you're putting so much effort, and it's like if you're not interested, just say you don't yeah. care, or just walk. Like I don't know, I'd rather you just turn your back and walk away mid speech than me finish it, and then you just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one for me. Um, I I, I the mid speech one, like I, I guess most people will listen through all the way, just in some idea of, of fulfilling a social contract, like. I, I, I'm not a, a like a huge egomaniac or anything, but I, I'll say I'm one of the best pitch men at a convention that I know. So I guess, and so I think people will at least listen to it to the end. Like uh, people let's feel an obligation. Okay, let me get to the end, and then if I'm I, I really had no intention of buying anything, I'll go flip through a little things and then I'll walk away. That's kind of a that's the polite, genteel way, and like okay, I'm fine with it. But the ones that just kind of stare at you dead face, like. Uh-huh. And then turn around and go away. Those are bad. The ones, but I actually find the mid-pitch one a little worse because I just feel like I wasn't like if, if you didn't want anything from me, why did you come up in the first place? Yeah. Like, See, I would feel like I didn't want to make them feel obligated to stand there and listen to me talk. Yeah. But yeah. again, I would rather them say, uh, you know, I'm not really interested. Yeah, like, I'm, just, I'm just flipping through just seeing what you, you know. Like if you you're... just walk away, yeah, you're a dick. Cool. And if you listen all the way and you're just kind of I don't know. Uh, it's hard because as you know, a frequent well, con goers as we are, it's a lot, like you get that carnival well, atmosphere. And sometimes they're hungry for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's been times when I've like sipped through, like I went to somebody's table checking out their stuff, and they give me a thing. And, you know, and you try to be polite, but there's been times like halfway through the pitch, I'm like, I'm not gonna like yeah. any of this stuff. But see, I'm the type of I guess shopper would be the right word. But when I go to a con, I go to like I like to be left alone. And look at the stuff before the sales pitch. Mm-hmm. I'd rather kind of look around, and then if I'm interested, you know, I would ne- not negotiate, but 
I would kind of instigate the conversation a little bit because uh, I've done that many times. But at the same time, I mean, how many people would you lose if you were the, you know, selling stuff and you didn't say anything? That goes yeah. to our writers yeah. who just sit there, you know, uh, I'm not interested. Well, I don't again, care. like you said, like how many times have we gone to a table and we've had to ask the person? Yeah, that's always awkward too. Uh, or James O'Barr's passed out drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always an interesting one. Moving on, I'm really interested in how you came up with Kevin because I'm also a fan of you know history. I'm always studying these things and like just the whole aspect of the Last Emperor of Rome. I can find you can have a lot of fun with. Um, I'm assuming, because I haven't read it yet, I'm assuming it's more of like a satire or comedy. Yeah, it's definitely satire or comedy. I try to maintain certain um, historical accuracy to a certain extent, and I, I kind of also try to put uh, historical commentary to a certain degree, or, or um, not necessarily social commentary, but uh, societal commentary, I think, is the more of the, like, the act, like for example, the, uh, the book takes place in the year 500, and the uh, the idea of being it's 25 years since uh, the, the last emperor of the West has been deposed, and the idea of being what it is to be Roman is becomes sort of a more amorphous uh, concept at that point. Like I think there's a certain ask, there's a there's a point where he's sitting at like the uh, a delegation from the Eastern Empire showing up, and so many people are dressed in. I guess what they say, uh, their idea of what Roman is, and I sort of equivocate it to people who dress uh, in like spirit of Halloween costumes yeah. as, as Julius Caesar or something like that. It's like they all have their idea of it, but is it really? Is it really the Roman uh, Empire of Caesar Augustus and Tiberius? No, it's not. It's been like it, that, that idea. It's like it is uh, you know the the, the empire of, of Caesar Augustus is different from say the empire of Commodus or the empire of um, of Constantine in the uh, the early fourth century. Like it all kind of like every like I mean I mean hell look at like fashion that changes in, in our time from say the nineteen eighties to present. Yeah. Did you play, I mean, you're talking about just incorporating that kind of stuff. Did you play at all with the language of maybe going, obviously you're not going to go hard with it, but doing any kind of like biblical Latin or just like the way they speak, would it be more biblical Roman style? Or did you just go like forego that and just kind of go into more of just like, this is the story. It's going to have like a modern, the way they speak would be more modern. Uh, it, it's mostly an English vernacular. Like it's uh, definitely it's it's. I I kind of wrote it in the tone of my head. It, it seems like eighties or nineties uh, British sitcoms that I used to watch at that point, like either The Young Ones or Ab Fab or mm -hmm. or something to that something to that degree. Uh, like the, the the way everybody kind of spoke. I was just wondering if you did it like more of like you know the movie A Knight's Tale where they had like the hard rock and stuff like that where it's like yeah it's set in this time period but it still has a modern aesthetic so the modern reader can relate to it sort of uh but not to the extent of A Knight's Tale I would say but they, there's definitely I don't I don't go that far I, I mean like get yeah, it's definitely that aesthetic but not to that extreme how different was your writing process doing a prose novel versus you know your your normal comic stuff to a large degree, very different in the idea that when I write a comic, my style is basically, I, I equate it to the Marvel method, but I'm playing both the parts of Stanley and Jack Kirby. <laughs> the I, the idea is I, I 
don't I with the comic that I am producing, both writer and artist, I don't write a full script. I I, I tend to just think I don't really need it. It's it's my stuff, so I kind of like I just I, I, it starts off with I I call it a um a story bible, and which is like a breakdown of the characters, basic plot, etc. And then from there, I just kind of go like, all right, here's a page. I need panel one to start here, and I need the last panel to be here. How many beats do I need to get to that last panel? And and then rinse and repeat for every, how many pages it goes. And then once the pages are done and scanned in and colored and all that, I just kind of sit there. It's like, all right, here's panel one. Here's this character. He's you know he's pissed off because somebody stole his last beer. That <laughs> character would say yada yada and that's kind of how my comic uh writing goes with a novel obviously there's no pictures other than like the uh i did uh chapter illustrations uh at the beginning of each chapter at the end of each chapter but i still kind of had that uh story bible to go with but uh from there i just have to you know i have to write all the text rather than have the pictures to guide me along i guess the good thing though is i sat on this story for a good I'm going to say four or five years. So that first draft came really easily. Because you've just been kind of pre-writing it in your head. Well, I remember when you started talking about writing it, you were just like done. I was like, how the fuck did he write that? I got so mad. I was like, how did he write that that, <laughs> that fast? That son of a bitch. What was the total word count you, roughly? Do you remember? I think it was done in a matter of like, I'm going to say I went through about five drafts uh, total. And I want to say it was like a matter of like, I would say four, maybe five months at most. But the the, the word count, how like uh, the oh, total? The word, oh, sorry, the word count. Uh, ninety two thousand, I think. Ninety two thousand words. That's a good chunk. So is it like two hundred fifty pages, three hundred yeah. something like that? Like, yeah, average novel. Pages. That's usually the sweet spot for novels. Mm-hmm. Eighty to hundred. Yeah, eighty to hundred thousand. Um, yeah. Did you find that the process was at all grueling writing the novel? Because I'd imagine with the drawing, you know, when you do comics, like your mind has to visually interpret these the, the story you're telling versus when you're doing a novel, all of a sudden it's so much different. Um, again, I think that I just have the one novel and I like I said, I sat on the story for five years and um I almost like play the scenes in my head uh as if I'm like I'm watching a movie of the book. So basically it's just I almost feel like I'm just the recording uh or you know, like I guess a scribe taking down notes of what's going on uh in my head. Did you I, I know that seems that seems like incredibly generalized <laughs> to a certain degree. Did you hire an editor for it? Uh, yeah, I did have an editor for it. Yes, that is a solid move. Um, yeah. Uh, when we spoke to, we did not have him on the podcast. Ray Wink. We he had yeah. he had like a million books. I've never right. seen an indie guy have that many books, but he's always at a bunch of conventions. You might have run into him before. He's an older gentleman, but he uh, told us that, which I was very happy to see, because in the indie writing community. I've seen, I've heard a lot of writers say they don't worry about editors, and I'm like, you're not gonna, it's gonna be bad. They yeah. don't. Well, Ray said he for every single book, all hundred thousand books he has, he he makes sure he pays for an editor and you know, or knows an editor or something. And I was like, that's a good move. Always do that. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, my uh, uh, my girlfriend's my editor, so she uh, she actually does that for a living. So it's uh, nice. That's like yeah, I wish Mindy was. Nice. <laughs> right? Mindy, edit my work. 
and she's and she's a great editor. And uh, if anybody's looking for uh, an editor down the line, like uh, on your podcast, uh, hit me up. I'll, I'll definitely I'll send you her way. Very nice. Yeah. Um, when we do the the outro, you can give her credentials if you want her website or anything like that. Yeah. Um, have you written any stories before this? Prose stories. I mean, I written a few short stories and stuff like that but nothing ever really published so this is like my first time i sat down and, and put published stuff together and tried to market it as something professional and original uh how did the fans take the book were they excited for it because it was something so outside of the wheelhouse of you know what you normally do so far the uh those that have read it and gotten back to me seem to be very uh, positive about the about the book. I enjoyed it. I I, I mean, it was a, it was challenging to be uh, just the writer on something or, or, or something that depends entirely upon uh, the written word, upon prose to to present itself. Yeah, like I said, I I, I doubt that so far the uh, the audience uh, seems pretty positive towards it, and I I wouldn't mind doing uh, another novel down the line. The way I always look at it, if you even got five people to read a whole book anymore. That, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty that's impressive. A, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. It was the fastest funded Kickstarter. It's the only time I, I I got a Kickstarter funded in one day. Oh, Damn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It made about, I want to say a little over three grand uh, over the course of the entire Kickstarter. So, nice. uh and uh, like I said, it was it was it was also in a certain way a lot easier to get everything out because basically it was just the books uh a sticker poster uh a couple of like like a car cover version and like it was a lot less rewards to have to deal with so it was a lot easier to get it out to people yeah i mean like we were talking there's not much you can do with a novel yeah. like, oh you get signed copy you always get signed copy yeah. like, you get a bookmark <laughs> it's just the, you know you get the original first draft and how shitty it is yeah. like uh, i don't know i don't know what you I really mean, give I, for uh, stretch goals I did have T-shirts for it, but I mean, since I'm a, a quote-unquote uh, an artist, that was helpful in that aspect. I did a. Um, there's some minor characters in the book called um, the uh, Greater Metropolitan Thieves Guild. Uh, uh, it was a yeah, the Greater Metropolitan Roman Thieves Guild. And basically, I just kind of gave them like a uh, an old school like Union T-shirt. Oh, that's uh, awesome! Yeah. yeah, I like that. They're only on like three chapters, but basically, um, their main deal is like if they, they don't mind if you know they call you thieves or anything, they just don't want you to th- think that like they they're unprofessional. Now I'm gonna look down on you a little bit for this because I'm sure you didn't do it. If you did, then I'm very happy. Did you have a little Easter egg of chicken in your novel? No, sadly I don't. Oh. I, I want to say this is the one time. Usually, in my other books. There's some sort of Easter egg towards. I, I try. I try to reward people that come on board, but Kevin's kind of like off on its own. So I try not to have, and I, I try to have this book exist a lot more to a certain extent within reality. So like I, I didn't have. Uh, so he's outside uh, of the chicken verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I said, chicken kind of exists within the other comics that I've done. Um, I. Uh, I have another character from Space Tales. His name was Cat uh, Carson that uh, showed up. He was in a, another book on his own, but he also showed up in uh, in Space Tales. But like I said, I have little tiny, uh, uh, sometimes little tiny cameos from other characters in my books. It's, it's my way of rewarding people who come along with me for the journey. But I think for the first prose one, I kind of wanted to do uh, things without a net, and that sort of included not having to lean on uh, previous books uh, for anything. 
Well, after having submerged your feet in the waters of the prose novel, do you have any plans for future novels? So far, not exactly. I think the only thing I've kind of entertained at this point is maybe another historical comedy, maybe uh, a descendant of Kevin. I, I kind of like the idea of having somebody uh, go around the world through a series of misadventures, uh, accidentally circumnavigating the, the, the globe before the age of discovery. That would be fun. Outside of historical type of fiction, I would like, to, and this is just a personal preference, I would like to see you do novel versions of your comics. If you, you know, the, the, the tales of the last pit stop or like things like that, I think would be really fun. Uh, or like just novellas. They didn't have to be full length novels. Even like, like a short story collections. Even. Something, yeah, something like that. Cause I just think that'd be fun to be able to dive in. Because one thing you can do in the novel better than you can do in a comic is go into the mind of the characters more and develop the characters more. And uh, certain stories you have, I think, would be really fun for that. Even if that was just like, a, like you said, the short stories, even if you did like a stretch goal on a project you're working on, it's like, hey, you get a short story version of something I'm working on. That could be fun. Yeah, no, that's definitely something uh, to consider down the line. I, I think my only deal is I, I'm not much, once I'm done with a project, I'm not much for revisiting those characters. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll do it. Like uh, for, say, Adam and Eve, the 10th anniversary uh, edition I did a new chapter for. At one point in the book, basically, there's a chapter that ends uh, as he's leaving the uh, the bunker. And then it starts off with him maybe a few miles down the road. But I never said, I, I never showed what happened to the immediate area that the bunker was located under. And I kind of did a story about a guy that was supposed to be uh, protecting uh, the base, uh, protecting the bunker entrance. And he stayed there the entire time that Adam was underneath and basically uh, starts slowly kind of losing his mind from loneliness and isolation with the little bits of periods of like either zombies or raiders and all that coming through. And finally, like he sees the, um, the door start to rise. It's like, yes, finally my, my life's mission has come to fruition. And basically the door just hits him in the head, knocks him <laughs> over the side. The main characters go off without seeing him. And he's like, Oh, you know, damn it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a blast. Yeah. <laughs> so novel aside, the chicken Kickstarter, do you have anything else in the works? Right now, it was basically just getting the chicken thing on the way. I kind of like, I, I, every time I keep telling myself that I have a project, uh, I'm going to say, once I'm done with this project, I'm going to take an extended break. And every time I get to that point, <laughs> well, I have something in my head. It's like, all right, I'm going to do just this last one. And then I'm going to take that long extended break. It hasn't happened in over 20 years. I've always had another idea that pops into my head that just gives me a compulsion to work on it. So far, that hasn't happened. But there's a lot of time between when uh, this Kickstarter ends and when I have the book, the last book mailed out to everybody else. So something might pop up. Who knows? Part of me hopes that it doesn't, and I actually like can go through like the rest of the year. It's like, all right, I don't got any, I have, I don't have any new ideas. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna enjoy going to shows, selling some books, maybe working on an odd, uh, you know, work for hire project and commissions here and there, and and enjoying like you know doing house chores and and uh, you know getting some odd jobs done. 
do you get that nagging suspicion in the back of your head that if you take an extended break, the whole house of cards you built will yeah, just come crumbling down and all your audience will disperse? People will forget. They will forget who Dang Notes yeah, is. I mean, and that sucks, too, that you basically you're kind of judged on... I mean, that's not just me. I think it's it's everybody that you're... Uh, what's the term? Content creator. If you're yeah. not putting content out, despite whether the content is good or not good, you just have to put out more of it. And after a while, that I think... Like, I think you were talking earlier about the, a guy that puts out, like, you know, like, tons and tons of novels. It's like, But I have to... And I, like, he might put out excellent work every single time, but I have to sit there and think to myself, like, if I put out, like... 10 novels in three years, are they going to be good? Or am I, am I just doing it just to put out product? Like, um, I want to say like an example of that, like, would you rather be, would you rather have the Rolling Stones discography or would you rather have the Beastie Boys discography or Radiohead? Well, judging by some romance writer, indie romance writers we've <laughs> accidentally met, we covered on a press gig, uh, writing a book every month or so is not going to be a good book, probably. Like, your books aren't going to be that well, well done. Well, they didn't even, like, check their spelling or anything on that. <laughs> like, they just, yeah. like, in the first draft, printed, put it out. Like, I wish I had the confidence, but no, that's not happening. Well, the ones that, um, that wind up on uh, on Amazon or something like that, like, uh, like Ver- Velociraptor, Dinosaur, Romance Novels, or, like, yeah. I well, I, there was a, a YouTube video about... Um, a romance novel based on a living embodiment of the coronavirus or something like that. Oh. <laughs> I just look at it, I was like, like this, and I'm thinking about myself, this garbage sells? Like, yes, because it's garbage. It's, it's junk food uh, novels that, that's, that sell themselves on the novelty alone. Does that make you ever just want to sell out real quick and just make a quick buck by writing Bigfoot erotica or something? I thought that was what the chicken novels were for. I'm selling out the goddamn chicken novels. I mean, with chicken, I was like, um, I, I definitely wouldn't say it's it's selling. It's basically embracing. Like I tell people when they read uh, USDA rejected, like chicken in the books cannot talk. All he says is balk. Uh, but his inner monologue, I tell people when you read his inner monologue bits. Just read it like uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, portrayals, like either Johnny Depp or Bill Murray. Uh, just read it like like Hunter S. Thompson is, is doing the part of Chicken. So just on every drug imaginable, just blurting out random nonsense. Um, yeah, but with slight meaning. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I could do the whole selling out thing, but it, it is. Uh, just doing something where it's like this will get me a lot of attention very quickly. Well, it's like, are you selling out and then actually getting something for that, or are you selling out and doing like the big erotica and you get like a like a, a little spike for like a week or two and then you just are back down to where that's you're where at. That's where the pseudonym comes in. You know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you could be Misty Rain and that's yeah. your erotica name. I just, I don't think I could write it like uh, a whole book or something along those lines. I just don't think it'd be fun, and I would not enjoy it. So there's no artistic merit to such things. See, I would be worried that I did write it, and people are like, "This is great," and then that's where that's <laughs> like, your wheelhouse. Like, oh God! Well, we talked before, and I'd actually be I'm interested in your opinion on Wait, this. I need more canned vegetable porno, man. <laughs> oh, man. I, I never knew I needed this until I did. The mashed potatoes got a deep hole in them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want your opinion on this, Dan. Sure. What do you think about creating? For you, it'd be more than just an author gimmick. But what do you think about creating a gimmick for yourself 
to help sell your work because I know some uh, like we, we know Dirk Manning's very he's getting yeah. ridiculously popular now and he has which he's spoken about you know you can't see his face and but also like he when he's at conventions he doesn't wear it like no it's know? not a real it's not a permanent gimmick it's not a Ric Flair yeah. or, you know one of those guys but it's a persona more a persona yeah so what do you think about creating your own gimmick or persona to sell your work or do you have you done that I mean, I kind of have to, I mean, some of it's me, I mean, like I conventions and some, some of it's, you know, um, misanthropic, you know, a misanthropic curmudgeon at the shows, uh, who kind of like has this sort of like, uh, again, I've been doing it for 20 years. So to a certain degree, I'm kind of immune from a lot of shows charm, like, or that, that childlike wonder. A lot of people say, Oh, look at all this. Like, yeah, I've seen have done it. It's like, yeah. I'm kind of like the guy, the people that work at Disney World. It's kind of like the the uh, uh, the mystique is worn off. Um, I kind of wrote about that in Space Tales to a little bit, like uh, the 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 role of um, uh, the main character, who's um, you know, yes, he works with aliens, but you know, he's basically in the in the still in the service industry, and people are st- uh, you know, the aliens are still asshole uh, customers. <laughs> That's that was my favorite part. It's just like you're still you're just like God damn it. Even cool aliens are still asshole, lame, fucking with eggs. Like just annoying, you know. This is something that's been bugging me, and I've been meaning to ask you for some some time. Sure. Now your website, as well as your, kind of your brand, is Twenty One Sand Shark Studios. What is the yeah. significance of that? The the full name is Twenty First Century Sand Shark Studios. I grew up watching a lot of Python. It was it was, it was introduced to me by my uh, my parents, who were both fans. And it was it was uh, I think if nothing else, it was like it was on PBS. So like you know PBS, it must be educational. Yeah. Uh, so one of the regular Python sketches, like a reoccurring one, they would they would make fun of the 20th Century Fox uh, logo, either 20th Century Frog or 20th Century Bowl or something to that degree. And I kind of thought that was pretty funny so i kind of ran with that and i was like all right it's the late 80s or so and i was like okay it's gonna be the 21st century soon so i i need to call it 21st century whatever it's like all right what's the most ridiculous thing you can think of off the top of your head it's like sand shark it's like okay it's 21st century sand shark studios and that's kind of, like i said that was kind of like the brand i was with in like middle school and high school and it kind of just stayed with me until I, you know, quote unquote, went pro. That reminds me of that SNL bit from, I think, the 80s or early 90s. I don't remember exactly if it was, I think it was a land shark or something. Mm. I just remember, I think it was yeah. an update. It would just come and, like, eat people. <laughs> it was, like, really yeah, ridiculous. It was the cold open. It was usually uh, Chevy Chase and Jane Curtin. Uh, Jane Curtin would, like, answer the door. Like, the, the, the most famous one was the Halloween sketch. It's like, uh, it's like, it was like, who is it? It's like, trick or treat. It's like, no, it's not. I think you're the land shark. Oh. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that. that's right. It was really, it was really big, and I was just like, "What? How do you not know it would be a shark?" Yeah, that's way back. That was that was before my SNL days. I didn't really watch much of the '70s or '80s stuff. Not to go completely off topic, but I'm sick of people saying that SNL is completely unfunny because I've seen a I've decent seen, amount yeah. of funny things lately. Yeah, it's a live sketch show, so you're gonna have a lot of garbage. Depending on the guest, it does depend on the guest. I've seen some bad get. Also, a lot of times if it's any more. I don't watch it live. I watch like on YouTube or something. Right. That's very rare. I watch it live, but a lot of the times, if it's a guess, I'm not interested. I just don't even check it out. 
unless like their tit falls out or something. Yeah. You see it on Twitter. Like, okay, yeah. that's interesting. That fucking you know John Goodman's tit fell out. <laughs> well, it was John Goodman. I would probably watch the whole show anyway. <laughs> right. But, um, but like just from what I watched this season, even though they got rid of a lot of their uh, well, a lot of their mainstays left, the new cast seems to be good. Just so you folks know, I I, I always been a big uh, you know Dan's a history buff. I also been a history of pop culture, and SNL has been my go to for a very long time. So I, I don't take there was a stretch there where it sucked. There's a couple stretches. The eighties, like the after Eddie Murphy, it sucked and almost went out of business. And then you had the stretch and like I, I don't even know, maybe the mid two thousands. Like I don't think they always had decent characters on there. It's also like like Saturday Night slowly being like aged out by like technology. Like if it was But they've incorporated like the TikTok and just different digital shorts. So I don't I think what it is. I it, just mean to have like that small audience on a set, yeah. like you know what I mean. Like I just don't think like that's a huge like a draw anymore. And to turn in to turn in at that certain time of night, you know, every set, like you know what I mean. Right. Like you said, you either watch it the next couple of days or on YouTube or whatever. It's not must see programming no. at eleven thirty. But what on is Saturday. though? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think to a certain degree, it's also the fact that SNL, when it started, was part of a, I guess uh, you, you could say '70s counterculture, where now it's the establishment. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you're like a mainstay, well, that's how you get on. If you're, you know, you have a big movie coming out, then they're going to put you on. But no longer and do so they, they have more obscure people. Right yeah, I don't know how we start talking yeah. about SNL. I just, yeah. That's a gripe I've been wanting to talk about for a while, though, because I always see, and it's usually one subsect of the uh, yeah. this country, especially. It's just like, it's, it's been funny. Like, you haven't fucking watched it in how long? I hate when people I, say it sucks and then they never watch it, though. I'll say this. The last two episodes have been pretty good. I, I actually, like, I, I, I would say that's now mainly I watch two things regularly, which is the news and the cold open. Uh, everything, they, everything else depends on who's the guest that night. The last two, I think, uh, what was it? Aubrey Plaza was really good. And um, uh, what's his name from The Mandalorian was actually uh, oh. pretty good. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. I watched some of the sketches of Michael B. Jordan. That was pretty good, too. Can't remember. See, I'm I'm like Dan. I usually just watch the cold open, the weekend update, yeah. and some of the, the sketches depending on the guest. But I don't watch them live. But yeah, like Michael B. Jordan, he he was okay. Aubrey Plaza, that was a funny one, and uh, I can't remember. There was another one I saw this year that was pretty good. But regardless, we digressed too far, yeah. and also we're over an hour, so we should probably wrap this up here. Um, well, he still got to do his uh, Amazon rant. Fuck! Thanks for reminding me. So, Mister Notes, before we go, you had a little bit of tiff with Mister Bezos' company. <laughs> it seems yeah. that what he did was, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong kind of gave you the boot for absolutely no reason and just deleted all your work off Amazon and Kindle. Yeah, uh, I guess I have to back up to October of 2021. Um, I was at, I was doing a uh, neighborhood outdoor art festival the day before I went to Baltimore Comic-Con. I, I, it's like, all right, let me warm up here, and then the next morning I'll go to Baltimore Comic-Con. And I was doing really this little local festival in Richmond, and at one point uh, I go to look up my, check my email during a, a slower period, and I look there, and it's like, uh, here's something from Amazon KDP. I'm like, let me take a look, and I open it up, and it says, like, uh, your book, Adam and Eve, 
uh, bizarre love triangle, yada, yada, has been found to have material that goes against our uh, standards and practices. Uh, your book has been taken off and your account has been canceled. I'm like, oh, this is literally the, literally the day before I go to Baltimore Comic-Con and I still had a good... I want to say 15 or 20 people that I had to uh, get uh, their books to, possibly even more. And that's not what you want to go off and hear about Baltimore, especially like I, I will give Amazon credit. They have a, they put a really good product and the turnover time was super fast and the prices could not be beat. So I spent like a month going back and forth after I got back from Baltimore. Uh, I went through all the hoops. I, I uh, filled a formal complaint. I got on the phone maybe three or four times and just kept being led for like a half an hour, 45 minutes at a time before either they tell me like, no, they can't help me or I would just be disconnected. No. After a month, I just said, screw it. I, I'm, I'm not going to get anything out of them. I, I give up. When you saw that, did you shit your pants and then cry, or did you cry first and then shit your pants? Because I would uh, be devastated. I would both simultaneously. <laughs> just an explosion of every end. Yeah. Oh, I would. I would just be devastated. Like you had a lot of work through there, so it's just like, oh, I have all this stuff set up. I also find it funny that they took you off because of you. The stuff didn't meet their standard practice, but yet they shit. They, you can buy like a rubber vagina. Well, they, didn't, they didn't even tell them what the problem. Or, Usually, it's a uh, copyright thing. Or dinosaur COVID nineteen erotica. Yeah. yeah like, um, well, that's that's sophisticated. Yeah. No, don't be smart yeah. for that. Yeah, that's very highbrow. Oh, yeah. Really measure up to that glorious standard. Ah, <laughs> oh, just and then they also your Amazon reviews gone. The way people like they search dang no, so then you know his books come up and they could go, oh, here's the Amazon link. It's got this many stars. Easy. I mean, I mean, it, it does have one happy ending. Like afterwards, I'm like, you know what? Uh, now that I'm going through this other company, eventually I wound up at a place called Mixum, and I, I I like their product. They put up good stuff, but I'm like, all right, I, I'm gonna revise this cover to Adam and Eve slightly. I'm gonna if they're gonna screw me over, I'm gonna profit on this to a small degree. So on the top right corner, there's this little sticker that says "banned from Amazon." That's a good uh, way to. That's I, a good I, idea. Right? <laughs> Whenever I have my Adam and Eve book with me, um, I lead off with that was banned from Amazon. This is the one thing you can't get on Amazon. If yeah. Ron DeSantis I mean, has taught us anything, like, banned books sell more. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I mean, like, the, the people tell me now, it's like, oh, I, I got banned from Twitter. I got banned from Facebook. Like, I was banned from Amazon. I'm like, really? Tell me. Tell me more. <laughs> the most, like, money-hungry, uh, grubbing corporation on the earth. They're just like, no, we don't want to sell your product. Yeah. Make money off of it. And like, when I asked him point blank, I was like, why am I being banned? It's like, uh, you violated terms of service. Okay. But what terms specifically did I violate? It's like, well, when you filled out the, when uh, you agreed to the terms of service, we were no longer under any obligation to tell you what terms of service you Uh, violated. That's some circular logic right there. Uh, that doesn't help my problem out any, so I have no way to defend myself. Or even to, or, or even to fix whatever the so-called problem is, like you know, if it was, you know, whatever it was, if you, if it was something you could go back and correct or whatever, then to get back on. But if they can't even tell you, yeah, like I said, it's like um, I, I, I don't. Uh, you would think something like this would start with a warning and like, here, this is what you did wrong. 
uh, we're taking the book down, correct this, resubmit it, and it just went straight to your band. I'm like, what? Like, I, I, I thought you guys liked money, and I was giving you money to make end product for me. Do you do this to a lot of people? Uh, or it, was it just me in particular? Did you make fun of or satirize Jeff Bezos in any of your work? Uh, not yet, but it's, it's going to work. <laughs> it's, yeah. Not yet. <laughs> I would just love to think that Jeff Bezos was reading every one of his books and was just like, fuck. <laughs> I haven't gotten to the, the villain reveal and uh, chicken uh, battered and fried, so it's, uh, it's a thought. <laughs> it's That's a good thought. He's just, let's just say the bad guy's going to be bald. As long as you don't say his yeah. name, you can't get yeah. sued. You have his likeness, which is easy because he can look like Lex Luthor, yeah. so it's fine. Ah, oh, jeez, I would, I would want to punch everybody in the world if that happened to me. Like that's just so stupid. It's like we can't and, tell. Like, they can't at least tell me why. You yeah, know? literally, it cost me a good two to three months of my life just figuring out a finding a new printer, b reformatting it and and submitting it and figuring out which one was it. Like I I went through a, probably a good another two or three printers like and trying to get like all right, let send me a sample and. and figure out, okay, how much is this going to cost? Like, I tried Barnes & Noble, but, I mean, like, their prices were pros, uh, cost prohibitive for what I was trying to do. I went through another two or three printers after that, and basically, I, before I landed on these uh, the guys that I have now. But, again, it took me... Uh, I had to sit there and totally uh, reformat the book or the pages to whatever size that they had to offer me. Oh, that's, that's, like, a major pain in the ass. Yeah. Like, I hate yeah. doing that kind of stuff anyway, so... Having to do just the whole thing like that. Uh, it's always something stupid, you know, but it's like, give me an explanation. Come on. Yeah. It's, uh, it was taxing. Is taxing a good word? Uh, frustrating. Soul Agg- crushing. I would say aggravating would be a good one. Ball crushing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Scrotum annihilating. There we go. Yeah, yeah the annihilation yeah. of yeah. the scrotum and the soul. I would imagine the spirit was at least dented. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. hard to dent a spirit, but I think your spirit was fair. I've seen your rants about it. Yeah, damage. Well, now that that's over, the, the, the anger, we'll let that subside. The folks can find you at 21sandshark.com. Mm-hmm. And then your Facebook, which is always a happening spot. Uh, is that just Dan Noakes? Uh, yes. I never know how the, the, the at works. Like We have a DPW on it. I always forget. Yeah. Like I remember I think I changed the name because so, it was like a bunch of numbers and shit. You're on the Twitter, but I believe when you are on the Twitter, you probably just do what I do and just look at irritating news things that are recommended to you and don't want to tweet anything. I'm I'm starting to engage with it, but I'm I'm trying to resist the uh, the more trollish aspects of it. But there's just so many idiots on there. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, like oh, I gotta say something. But I I use it mainly for work. I I I, I, I want to say Facebook. I understand the most because I'm pretty verbose. It's like Twitter just is like you can only use 280 characters, but it makes you more clever. It's like no, no, <laughs> no it doesn't. That just you know it, it, it's well, the opposite of that. Is that makes your grammar poorer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thinking you're saving a whole lot of time with with the uh, with abbreviations. It's like like what are you gonna do with all that three and a half seconds that you gained? Yeah. Well, I like take a vacation with the wife and kids. Yeah. I've given up on Twitter more or less. Uh, I I was doing fairly well there with engagement, and then I must have insulted the wrong celebrity or something because all of a sudden nobody was seeing my stuff, and I thought, oh, that's weird, but I couldn't prove it until they 
Mr. Elon Musk implemented the you can view like how many views your tweets got, and I can look at older ones compared to the ones. And I was like, wow, this has got five views. Like mm-hmm. nobody's seeing my stuff. What's the point? That's my own gripe though. The Twitter was kind of shitting the bed for a long time there. Now it's just like it's a fun place just to see the chaos, really. Um, yeah. Well, you're on Instagram too. Uh, you just post yeah. like your heart and stuff. I I have a hard time being able to master Instagram because I don't know as a writer. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Comics are a little easier because you can at least publish the art and stuff. But as a writer, yeah. it's like, well, what the fuck am I posting? You know. So yes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and your website. That's where the folks can find you. Uh, you folks can find us at DPW Podcast on the same things. Uh, and did you want to, uh, Miss Sue Rowland, did you want to shout her out or her website or anything for her editing skills? For, uh, her editing stuff, uh, just get a hold of me and I can plug you into her stuff. Uh, also, she's got, just started a, uh, cooking show called, uh, Kitchen Witchin'. Ooh. Is that on YouTube? Uh, yeah, there's a first, uh, the first couple, the first video is out, and I believe the second video is coming out soon. Yeah, she's, uh, she's out on that now. Are you involved, or is the chicken involved? Not as of yet, uh, but we've discussed me coming on and, uh, cooking on one of my favorite dishes or two, and, and no, it is not chicken croquettes. I was gonna say, I, that might be kind of messed up if you had the chicken sitting there <laughs> watching as you making chicken, chicken. like... <laughs> Well, was it? Uh, I put up a chicken uh, picture of like uh, back his Kickstarter. He'll have to sell his children again, and I just got uh, like a whole case of eggs sitting in front of him. Instagram. <laughs> uh, I posted that on Instagram, and somebody just the, the one comment that somebody put on there is like not funny. I'm like, okay, the- I thought it was hilarious, but you done pissed off the vegan folk. They're already mad that you love prime rib so much, and now you're really getting oh. with the eggs. No, uh, no, like I. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just found out. I was like, why do you not? Is it, is it a, a vegan thing? Or is it a egg shortage thing? Just be more specific next time. Well, now if you buy eggs, you're like the one percent. So yeah, right. Like, people yeah. are furious that you eat the ranch. I am the elite. <laughs> All right. Well, because I have to edit an almost an hour and twenty minutes of this now. Uh, I think we should probably end it. Um, All right. Sounds good. <laughs> before we go, go ahead and promote your Kickstarter one more time. If anybody's listening this far, I don't imagine why they would, but if they are. Yes, to your six and a half listeners, uh, my <laughs> uh, Kickstarter is called uh, Chicken Battered and Fried. It is currently on Kickstarter and it will be running until March 4th at approximately 6.13 in the morning. Uh, if you got a chance, go check it out. We got a whole bunch of uh, great rewards on there, uh, ranging from paper bag versions. Ultimate, we're actually going to have some great artists on there, including a uh, alt cover by Dan Parent, who did some work with Archie. Uh, uh, we have some great pinup artists who are Kickstarter stretch goal rewards, including uh, Dana Black, uh, Brian Lacey, Tim Shin. And what I'm really super excited for is if we get up to 7,500 bucks, we get to bring on Jeff Sr., who uh, is one of my big bucket list artists uh, that I would love to have doing my some of my stuff. He did uh, work on uh, Transformers, Death's Head uh, in the 80s and 90s. And I'm, I'm super stoked if I can get uh, raise enough funds to get him on there. Excellent. Yes. Well, folks, make sure you check that out. And just for your information, Mr. Dan, we have 11 solid and consistent listeners in Germany. So you might get big in Germany yeah. off of this, just so you know. Hey, good time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, anyway, folks, we thank you for listening. Um, 
you want us to have more guests, I guess tell us, suggest somebody. Yeah. I don't know. We always think, hey, we should do guests. And then I'm like, ah, that's a lot of prep work. But anyway. But it is fun, though. It, is, it always comes out well. So we thank you again, Dan. And I uh, guess we'll have to check you later and all that fun stuff. So catch you later, guys. <laughs>